everybody. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, happy Labor Day weekend to all of you who are here in town. Hopefully you're doing something fun with uh, our last sort of day off uh, before we launch into kind of fall rhythms and stuff. Um, and, uh, and if you're out of town and you're streaming online, uh, we're glad that you're here. And if you're out of town and you're not streaming online, you're missing out, guys. Come on. So... Um, we're beginning a new series. It feels really good to be back in the building. My name is Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we have spent the last month at uh, the park just a block away, uh, getting to know each other, spending time in prayer together, uh, letting the kids run around, and just sort of having a bit of an August break. But it's great to be back here with all of you, uh, relaunching into sort of a new fall series. Uh, so let's get into it, huh? Last Sunday uh, in the New York Times, author and Anglican priest uh, Tish Harrison Warren wrote a piece called What the Past Few Years Have Been Like for Pastors. And this was actually sent to me uh, by a few different pastors sort of across the vineyard and friends of mine who are also pastoring in the city. And so then I've passed it along to a few of the leaders in our church. And in this article, Tish Harrison Warren opens with this sentence. She says, if you are part of a church, there's a good chance that your pastor is not all right. <laughs> and then she goes on to walk us through the various major stressors that have been, that have hit pretty much every American church over the last few years, and our church was no exception. And so as many of us in this church began reading the article, we were struck by how resonant it was with our experience. And it caused us to pause and reflect on the last few years, all of the ups and downs, and to see just how much God has walked us through as a community. Now, I mention this article not as a cry for help. I'm actually doing fine. Uh, I have been able to process some of this stuff with close friends and some professionals. Um, in fact, uh, the other week, I graduated from counseling. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> That's not a thing. You can't really graduate from counseling. But my counselor was done with me. She broke up with me. It's fine. <laughs> um, and so I, I share this to say that what we have been through is quite a lot. And it's not something that we should easily shrug off and move on from. It's affected who we are and who we are becoming. And so each September as a church, we like to spend a few weeks kind of refocusing together as a community on who God has made us to be, what he has called us to be about, and how we can move forward together. And so today, I want to just sort of kick us off into that for the next four weeks by talking about four things uh, in our sermon time together. First, I just want to take a few minutes to reflect on where we've been. What has happened in the life of this church, and how has it shaped us? The last two years uh, have felt a bit like an eternity, if we're honest, and have been pretty disorienting for most of us. And I think it's helpful to talk about what we've been through because it helps, us to helps to inform the second point, which is where are we right now as a family? What is God doing in this moment among these people? And then I wanna talk about what is ahead for us in the coming year as we look forward into the next several months. God has surprised us with lots of new open doors as we are discerning sort of what God wants to do in this community. And finally, we'll spend the rest of our time talking about one of our core values uh, that will guide us into the future, the value for the presence of God. Sound good? All right, will you pray with me? So Lord, we thank you so much that 
you have done great and deep work in this community in the last year, in the last three years, and in the 30 years that we have been a church. God, you have never abandoned us. You have been faithful to see us through uh, high highs and at times low lows. And through all of it, it has been our joy to be able to worship you as the God who is faithful and who is present. And so we ask, Lord, that you would draw us close to yourself this morning, that you would reveal your heart for your church this morning. And Lord, you would, you would draw us into what you have in store for us as we look ahead. And we pray all of this in your name, God. Amen. Pastor and author Mark Sayers opens his most recent book with a story of the destruction of the Indonesian island of Krakatoa. On August 27, 1883, a volcanic eruption 10,000 times more powerful than an atomic bomb blew apart this island, sending sound waves across the earth from the force of the blast. In fact, the sound of the blast was heard as far as Bangkok and Perth, Australia. The sky turned red, rocks rained down from the sky, and to most people, it felt something like the end of days. In this blast, more than 36,000 people were killed, and more than three-quarters of the island was completely destroyed. Every plant and animal and insect was obliterated. The blast affected the entire planet. In fact, the sky appeared to be on fire, even in the United States. And in the United States, people were calling the fire brigade because they were so freaked out by what had happened. Seven weeks after the, the eruption, a small team of engineers went to look at the state of the island, and what they found is that the topography of Krakatoa had been completely rearranged. Large sections of the island had liquefied and eroded into the ocean. Um, two mountain peaks were totally flattened. All of the animal and plant life had disappeared. It was now a chaotic mess of rock and ash. When we look back at our church back in 2019, I think that our church felt something like a lush little island. God was doing something really powerful after a long season that we had spent as a community rebuilding. We were coming off a moment of renewal at a national conference, and there was just movement of the Holy Spirit every time that we gathered in worship and in prayer. We were seeing families in the neighborhood who were being cared for and served and fed uh, by our, our little church in practical ways. Life groups were healthy and connected and were being multiplied. We were seeing more and more life groups sort of uh, being launched. Hundreds of students from Hudson's Bay High School were coming over to our, our uh, building across the way, the portal, uh, to eat and do game club and participate in Alpha, all kinds of activity. We were just seeing students coming in waves day after day after day at our church. We launched Alpha for people who were exploring their faith, who were wanting to sort of learn more about what it might mean to follow Jesus. Um, and then we started these monthly worship nights together called Encounter, and we were seeing the activity of the Holy Spirit being stirred up in our little community. It was beautiful. And in March of 2020, I was probably the most full of excitement and vision that I had ever been as a pastor. People were meeting Jesus and being baptized. It was an amazing time. And then all at once, as we all remember, the eruption hit the whole planet. And so due to COVID-19, everything that we were doing was completely shut down 
and we were all locked down in our homes, and it was so disorienting. I remember going to Fred Meyer just down the street over here like a couple of weeks in and seeing um, my friend Kara, uh, my friend and sister-in-law, Kara, who was at, at the same grocery store. I was wearing gloves and a mask. She was wearing gloves but no mask because nobody knew what we were supposed to be doing at the time. And she saw me and just began to weep in sort of like the over, do you guys remember what that was like? Just how scary it felt. 10 days into our quarantine, we found out that a dear member of our church, Greg Betts, had passed away in his sleep and that we didn't even know about it because there was nobody in the office to take the voicemail. It was overwhelming. And so we pivoted, we figured it out. We did church online, watching a weekly live stream together, remember? And then we figured out Zoom and we started to hold these you know, regular prayer meetings because it was literally all that we could do. We attempted to figure out how to do life groups on Zoom, which was so uncomfortable and clunky and weird. I couldn't get a haircut. It was awful. <laughs> and then as the months passed, we felt the tension of a racial reckoning in America following the murder of George Floyd. And then violent protests broke out in Portland and we saw the, the destruction, the ongoing destruction of our neighboring city in the, uh, after that event. Emotions were so high. And so as a church, we began trying to figure out, well, we can't not speak to the moment. So we tried to figure out how we would communicate what is the gospel in the face of everything that we are facing, particularly as it pertained to sort of this racial reckoning trying to figure out what is God's heart for justice through a gospel lens. And we had some missteps and it ended up hurting and offending many people and many in our church left. We met outside. Do you remember these insane safety precautions that we took? Like, let's put up a drum shield outdoors. We had these six-foot hoops out on the grass to make sure that everyone was spread out and wearing masks, and it was stifling, and it was hot. And, but we were just thrilled to finally be together, and we, would, we were willing to do anything to simply try to keep our church together in a world that was being ripped apart. Finally, we were getting ready to come back into the church to meet indoors. Uh, it was two years ago, right at this time of year, and the, suddenly that weekend, the air became completely unbreathable because of the smoke from wildfires. Sorry, is this triggering anybody right now? Or is like trauma coming up as I'm talking? Um, and so we had to cancel our first gathering back together in the building. And a few weeks later, state officials made another announcement about further restrictions and that we were no longer going to be allowed to sing in church anymore just in time for Christmas carol season. <laughs> there was a presidential election, remember? There was January 6th. There was QAnon conspiracies. There was wave after wave of strange, unprecedented difficulties that were crashing over our small community. And while it didn't leave us desolate, it did change the makeup of this church. It left us disoriented and a little shell-shocked. And so over the last couple of years, all of these exciting opportunities, this fruitful life that we were seeing expand in our, in our family suddenly became dormant and was no longer available or accessible for us. 
Many of our life groups shut down because the weight of leading through 2020 and 2021 was so overwhelming for most leaders, it just completely burned life group leaders out. Outreach opportunities were shut down or set aside because we couldn't meet indoors or we could no longer meet health, uh, uh, health department restrictions or requirements for serving food. Like the island of Krakatoa, we found ourselves in this weird in-between state. We were not completely obliterated, but we were also not able to bear much fruit. In Bible language, we were forced into a season of lying fallow, where everything was forced to be put aside and to rest. And I recognize that even as I'm telling these stories, a lot of people were not here. We're not a part of this community. You missed out on all that great excitement, but probably you experienced it in lots of other ways in other places. So three years after the eruption of Krakatoa, another expedition went to survey the island again. And this time, researchers found that life was actually starting to grow. Now, it was very primitive life. It was mosses and algae and, you know, a few flowering plants and some ferns were just starting to break through this, like, ashy volcanic soil. And then another year later, the researchers returned one more time, and they found that the island was suddenly teeming with plant life. There were dense fields of grasses, and animals were beginning to return, and the destruction had somehow led to a rebirth of the island. And so in his book, Mark Sayers wrote, what looked like destruction was the phase before germination. The devastation created a blank page upon which a new story could be told. And this brings us a little bit to sort of where we are now, where we are at as a community today. After a season of lying fallow, we're beginning to see lots of new life beginning to sprout up in the church. And this new life, is, it looks different than what we would have expected. In fact, this new life looks like something that we could not have engineered or we couldn't have programmed for and we couldn't have built ourselves. It is the sovereign work of God. And so over the last year or so, we've seen lots and lots of you join the church for the first time. Everywhere that you look, you see new people and families who were not here even a year ago. Most of you who came to this church came from all different kinds of church backgrounds or maybe no church background at all. Some of you are longtime Christians. Some of you are totally new to your faith. And some of you are seekers, exploring sort of what faith might look like in your life if you decide to follow Jesus. Some of you are working through past hurts, going through sort of a, a time, uh, the, the, the popular buzzword right now would be like deconstructing, you know, and, and figuring out uh, uh, how to make sense of Christianity. Some of you are exploring new ways of understanding the Bible and interpreting the scriptures. Some of you are experiencing the Holy Spirit for the first time. Wherever you're at in your journey, we're so glad you're here. And I think that it's important for us to recognize that sort of the way that we do church as the vineyard is can be a little bit foreign, a little bit weird if you're new to it. And that's okay. I'll just, just ask lots and lots of questions. We're glad that you're here. We know we're weird. Welcome. It's great. And so this, we're in this sort of strange in-between space right now. You see, the island of Krakatoa was still Krakatoa after the blast, but it was also a whole new island. It didn't cease to be what it was, but it was becoming a new version of itself. And this is the tension that, of the moment that we find ourselves in as a community, if we're just being honest with ourselves right now. We are Vancouver Vineyard Church. 
our call and our mission have not changed whatsoever. The values that guide us remain at the core, the foundation of who we are. But we're a new church too, right? There's this song that we often sing uh, here on Sunday mornings. Um, It's called God of Our Mothers and Fathers. And in this song, we sing this line where we say, come take this vineyard you planted and make us new wine. And that line is such a power-packed little mystery. We are still the vineyard that he planted, and at the same time, we are being made into new wine. We don't want to just stick with the old wine of what we did back in 1991, nor do we want to throw the whole thing out and just go plant a whole new vineyard. God is somehow taking this thing that has been around for a while and making us new. So where are we today? We're coming back to who God made us. We are becoming who we are, but we're becoming who we are in a new way. And so as simple as it may sound, the call of this moment is for, uh, I think, is for clarification and unity. It's a call against making assumptions that you already understand or that you've already figured it out what, what we're about. And instead, humbly, we are all asking ourselves questions, asking questions about what God is wanting to do in this family, what God has instilled in us that we want to continue to steward. It's a time of repeatedly communicating the gospel so that it takes deeper and greater root in our hearts. It's a time of gathering in the presence of God and letting his voice be the one that guides us into the future. It's a time for us to invest in deeper relationships, not retreating into sort of what has always been comfortable, but instead extending a hand to somebody who is new or who has not yet arrived. It's a time of strategizing what mission looks like in the future and stepping through the the doors that God is opening for us. And we are called to do all of this together. Amen? Which brings us to where we're going in the year ahead. Our vision as a church is to be a church that is empowered by the Spirit for a purpose, to practice and proclaim the kingdom of God for the renewal of our city. That's what's splashed up on our website. That's what's on all of our Vineyard 101 uh, uh, packets and everything else. And what that means is that we simply want to see ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit so that their lives would be transformed by Jesus, so that they would be equipped and trained to be able to proclaim and demonstrate what God's kingdom is like and to extend his love in our local community. It's a very simple call, but I think that it is a very power-packed call. Imagine if we became a church that really embodied this. And we see this sort of vision, we see this mission that God has given us being worked out through sort of four primary expressions or values. As Brendan mentioned, we, we are all about the presence of God, We're all about formation or discipleship. We are all about building relationships and community, and we are all about God's mission in our community to see justice and evangelism extended beyond these walls of this church. So we prioritize being in God's presence through worship and prayer. We practice formation by walking in the way of Jesus as transformed disciples. We prioritize our life together to support and celebrate and mourn and struggle and love and forgive and serve each other in community. And we are living on sacrificial mission for the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of Vancouver through acts of justice and evangelism. 
And each of these four values are crucial components to how we are going to live out the vision of this church. And it's important for us to, to pause and actually say out loud that these values are not in competition with each other, but rather each contribute to the whole and reinforce each other to make us the church that God has called us to be. And so where are we going? In the year ahead, we will gather in the presence of God by emphasizing worship and prayer in all kinds of spaces. Yes, we will have our morning prayer meetings, but we will also emphasize the presence of God in spaces like life groups or even youth group or kids ministry or everywhere that we go. We will emphasize personal formational practices like fasting and prayer and study of the scriptures. And we will offer more classes to um, classes and opportunities for focused spiritual growth. We're developing more and more life group leaders and want to encourage everyone in this church to plug into communities that are spread out across our city and people's homes in Vancouver. And outreach opportunities are starting to pop up Everywhere, we are seeing more and more need, needs being met as we are caring for refugees in our community. Doors are opening for us to have greater impact in the high school across the street. The youth group is growing and desperately needs more people to help out, particularly women, to help Liz and what she's doing with these students. Uh, we are building a new team to relaunch Alpha in January. Isn't that exciting? All right, yeah, you all want to be a part of it? Uh, okay. <laughs> Come and be a part of my team. We are building a fully functional kitchen across the way at the portal where we're going to be able to feed the neighborhood. There is so much opportunity and there is so much need and there is so much room for everyone in this church to plug in so that you can be known and so that you can be used by God to serve in our city. And so over the course of this month, we are taking these sermon series and we are just, we're, we're taking each Sunday and we're focusing on one of these four values of presence, formation, community, and mission. And so with the little bit of time that we have left, I just wanna talk about being a church that is committed to the presence of God. On the night before Jesus goes to the cross, as he's sharing his final thoughts and instructions with his closest friends, this is what he says in John chapter 14. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. As Jesus is preparing to die on the cross, he gathers his disciples to reassure them that he would never leave them but that he would remain with them by sending the Holy Spirit, who Pastor Rich Velotis calls the radically accessible presence of Jesus, or uh, author and theologian Gordon Fee calls God's empowering presence. You see, the entire message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is basically this. God's desire is to be with us. 
Jesus says that for everyone who responds to his invitation, my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. What an extraordinary invitation from Jesus. And we see this as the theme that is woven throughout the entire biblical narrative. The Bible begins in the book of Genesis with the presence of God being the first thing that is spoken of, hovering over some kind of dark and chaotic, unformed, I mean, chaos, really. And so even in the desolation of like Krakatoa following the eruption, God is there. God is over the destruction and God begins to create the heavens and the earth to prepare a place for humanity to dwell. And when he creates humanity, we see that he doesn't just sort of retreat back to his vacation house up in heaven to watch what happens with humans. No, he draws close. He designed the Garden of Eden to be a space where he would be with Adam and Eve, to be with humans walking in the cool of the day, probably having some kind of charcuterie picnic each evening. But then early in the story of Adam and Eve, we see that they were not content to simply be with God. Instead, they wanted to become God. And so sin enters God's creation and God cannot be with his people in the same way because of sin. Humans are then banished from God's presence because of their transgression. But even as God is speaking the consequences of this transgression over them in Genesis chapter 3, he is declaring a promise that this is not forever, that he is on the move to be able to reconcile humans back to himself in relationship. He lays out his plan, how he will undo the power of sin so that he can once again dwell with people. And so then we fast forward to the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and God's people find themselves in slavery in Egypt, and God raises up a leader named Moses to deliver them from their bondage. And as they are walking through the wilderness, God promises them that he would not leave them. In fact, he draws close to them in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. He did not abandon them on their journey and said God just wants to be with his people even as they are walking through the wilderness. And it wasn't enough for God to simply be a cloud by day or a fire by night. He says, I want to be even closer to you. And so he invites Moses and all of the leaders of Israel to build this weird tent-like structure called the tabernacle so that he can have a place to dwell. And we read that Moses went in and out meeting with God, talking with him, and that when he would come out from meeting with God, his face would be shining. He would be basically look like a new creation. And so again, they would, they, and each time that they moved on to the next place, they'd pack up the whole tabernacle, they traveled, and they'd reset it up so that God could be with them. And then there comes this weird moment in the story of God going through the wilderness with Israel where he has just finally had enough of these people. They keep screwing up. They keep choosing sin. They keep rejecting him. And he said, that's it. I'm done enough. Have you, any parents ever been there? <laughs> yeah, I was there during worship this morning. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say that. And so even though these people were willfully disobeying him, he was ready to be done with them. And in one of the greatest prayers of the Bible, Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here, which is the greatest prayer I think, uttered in the Bible. I think that this is a prayer for our church. Moses says, we would rather stay in this desolate wilderness wasteland with you 
than move into the promised land without you. This is the cry of our church. Is the sum total of the vision of our church just to be in God's presence and just to do worship and prayer meetings and all of the other stuff is secondary? Like, will we skip out on mission or formation or community because presency stuff is the most important thing to us? No way, not at all. But we will not take a single step forward unless God's presence is with us. We will prioritize the presence of God in everything we do because everything that we do flows from being with God and hearing from him. And so we recognize that formation and community and mission flow from God's people being in God's presence. All of these things are reflective of each other and, so, and, and reinforce each other. And so eventually God tells his people, okay, I'm tired of this tent, build me a temple. And so uh, a temple is constructed and there was a sacred place called the Holy of Holies and God's presence filled this room in such a way that it was like terrifying for people to draw near to it. So holy was this place. But his love would draw them in, would draw these priests in regularly because he just wanted to be with his people. And yet even this temple wasn't the ultimate aim of God because eventually we read in the Bible that he wanted to more fully come and be with his people. So the Bible says that he took on flesh and dwelled among us. He became a human in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. And for 33 years, he demonstrated what a life in perfect communion with the Father looked like. It's a life that is saturated with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, unhindered by sin. Jesus was filled with the Spirit without measure. And on the night before he was going to die on the cross, Jesus tells his closest friends, it is better that he was about to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come and fill them in just the same way. In Genesis 3, that moment when humans sin, we see that humans were banished from God's presence because of their transgressions. But when Jesus died on the cross, he broke the power of sin as an atoning sacrifice. As the old hymn says, that our sinless Savior died so that our sinful souls could be counted free. Why? Why did God do this? Why didn't he just abandon us? Why didn't he just write us off as fundamentally broken and irredeemable? Because of who he is, because there's something about the love of God where he longs to be with us and to dwell in us. God's love for us is beyond anything that we can comprehend. He just, for some reason, wants to be with us. And so even at your most broken or sinful, he wants to be with you. He loves you. Regardless of what you have done in your past, regardless of what you did last night, because of Jesus' death on the cross, that sin no longer has any power to define who you are. God, God's love is reaching toward you and inviting you to receive a new identity as his son or his daughter. He can't get enough of you. And he says that to each and every one of us, specifically says it to Carl. There you go, Carl. That's for you, my friend. I told you I was gonna talk about you this morning. 
And God, here's the thing, God knows that there will be times in our lives where we screw up. He knows that there will be seasons in our lives where we are in the Bible, reading every single day, soaking it in. But he knows that there are going to be times where you can't even find your Bible. He knows that there will be moments where we are tearfully singing of his love up front, worshiping him. And then we, he knows that there will be moments where we are seduced by sin to turn our backs on him and to choose to objectify other human beings. He knows that we will fail him over and over and over again. And yet his love keeps reaching towards us. I'm preaching to me right now. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you can do to disqualify you from the love and presence of God because the Bible is clear. He just wants to be with us. And so one of the kings of Israel, a man named David, who sinned beyond anything that anyone has done in this room, a man who was so broken, who was so sinful, he wrote about God's love this way in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He says, no matter what, no matter how sinful I've gone, no matter how far down into the depths of hell I have plunged, I cannot get away from this presence. And in the book of Romans, a pastor named Paul, another man who is so much more guilty than anyone who is in this room, somebody who has sinned far greater, far deeper than anyone who is in this room, he wrote this. He says, I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God expressed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says that there is nothing in your past that could separate you from your love. There is nothing in the future that you could possibly do to separate you from the love of the Father. There is nowhere that you can go to flee from God's presence. It's like the runaway bunny. We say, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna jump on a boat, I'm gonna sail away, and he says, I'll be the wind that blows you right back to myself. There is nothing in the world that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God is always moving towards us in love. So who are we? We are a church committed to that kind of presence. Our desire as a church is to introduce regular and ordinary people to this kind of love, to this kind of presence. Not a philosophy, not a theology, not a way of thinking, not positive self-talk, the real and tangible presence and love of a father who refuses to live without you. It's what every one of us were created for. You were made to be with God. And Jesus says that anyone who will say yes to him, he and the Father will come and make their home with them. Why do we prioritize the presence of God? Because God is on a relentless pursuit of us. It is not that we so badly want to have some kind of emotional euphoric experience of God. It's that God wants to be with us. Why do we pursue the presence of God? Because the presence of God is already pursuing us. All we have to do is welcome him. Amen.